Welcome to fellowship, everyone. Let's stand up as we worship our Lord. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Let's celebrate that this evening as we sing together. There is now a hope that lasts beyond our days For the one that once was buried lives again Now the tomb is bare and empty And the stone is rolled away Praise the risen one who overcame the grave all you broken hearted, all you worn and weak. Come find living water, everlasting spring. Through the wandering spirit, lost and searching, wanting something more. Find the risen King who overcomes the world. Let there be dancing in the darkness and let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing that Christ is King for Jesus is alive. Whoa. No more condemnation, no more doubt and fear. For our sin and shame, they have no power here. In His resurrection, perfect love has set the captives free. Praise the risen King who stands in victory. Yeah, let there be dancing in the darkness and let us. is undone hallelujah jesus has won hallelujah we overcome oh in jesus oh in jesus hallelujah death is undone
Thank you so much, team. Hey, y'all can have a seat. Man, it is so good uh, to see y'all here. Man, there's a ton of y'all in here. That's so cool. Uh, welcome to Fellowship College. So good to meet y'all. Uh, my name is Andy, uh, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and uh, I have the great privilege of, of leading a ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville called Celebrate Recovery. And if you guys would uh, allow me, I'd, I'd like to do my, my Celebrate Recovery introduction with y'all, if you'll indulge me for a second. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery over a 12-year pornography addiction in my life, and I currently struggle with anxiety and depression, and my name is Andy. Hey, uh, now, some of you all might be sitting there like, wow, that was a little much right off the bat, and <laughs> what, what I love uh, about what we do in Celebrate Recovery is that uh, it's, it's a place where we can find authentic community to point us towards the healing and hope that is found in Jesus Christ, our one and only true uh, Lord and Savior within our lives. And, and I know for me, for uh, the longest time within my life, I uh, tried to hide all the things that were going on within my life. And it wasn't until I was around authentic people that I started realizing that the things that I was dealing with, the hurt that I was carrying, some of the addictions that were active in my life, uh, actually, there was hope that could be found, and there was healing and true freedom that could be found. And so we, uh, we just wanted to, to let you all know that uh, whatever sort of hurt, hang-up, or habit that might be going on within your life, because if we've got a pulse, uh, we've encountered some sort of pain in our life, uh, we want you to know that uh, there's a safe place here at Fellowship Fayetteville where you can find people to help walk with you through that. Uh, in, in every single Friday night here uh, in this room, Celebrate Recovery meets at 7 o'clock. And so if you want to come and, and check us out and, and see what we're about, uh, we would love uh, to see you there and, and to, and to uh, share with you some of the hope and the life change that we've seen go on there. Uh, and we actually wanted to share some of that life change with you tonight as well. This is one of, one of my best friends, Julia. Uh, and... We wanted to share just a little bit of, of her story with you all. And so, Julia, uh, I know you grew up in church uh, your entire life. Uh, and, and then when you came to the U of A, you started getting plugged in with Fellowship's college ministry and were serving a lot. And then you had the opportunity to serve and celebrate recovery student ministry called The Landing just to help out. But while you were there, you started realizing and understanding that there was some stuff going on in your life as well that maybe you needed uh, a little bit of guidance walking through. You want to bring us into what, what your story was and what that looked like for you? Yeah, so uh, since about the age of six, I was acting out in lust with self-gratification, and I stumbled into it before I really knew what it was. But as I grew in understanding, I uh, started using that to cope. Anytime that I felt frustrated or sad or alone, I would run to that. Um, and even growing up in a private Christian high school, um, the girls uh, and guys were often split up into two groups where the guys were taught not to watch pornography and the girls were taught not to be the reason why guys would want to watch pornography. So what that told me from a young age was this is a uniquely male issue, so I must be uniquely broken and alone in this struggle. So I hid it and didn't bring anyone into it, um, and then I entered Celebrate Recovery years later um, in the middle of college, and I started um, leading with these girls, uh, the students, 
in the landing and started realizing that I had a lot that I needed to work through with that. So I jumped into a Celebrate Recovery step study, which is um, kind of like a small group. And we work through a 12-step process to work through lives, hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Um, and through that, I um, realized that there was true freedom from this. But on top of that, I also um, started to dig deeper than that and realize why I ran to those things. And I was able to unpack um, the damage that spending 16 years of my life experiencing false intimacy this one way through these images had affected my ability to experience true biblical intimacy the way that God designed it um, and the way that he made it beautiful for us to enjoy. And so once I realized that, through the tools of Celebrate Recovery, I was able to start um, unpacking that and get healing through um, being able to retrain my brain to experience intimacy the way that God designed it. Um, And so I've been free from acting out in lust now for over four years. That's awesome. Love that. So, Julia, uh, let's say that there's there's somebody here tonight that has walked in your shoes, or maybe is currently walking uh, in 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 an area that you've struggled in, and this this struggle that you just explained. Uh, is there any word of encouragement that that you'd want to say to them? Yeah. So, whenever uh, I was in the midst of my struggle, I truly believed that God did not expect me to be ever completely free from this. Growing up in the church, I thought that the Christian battle was trying as best as I could for as long as I could, knowing that I would inevitably fall back into it at some point. And so I thought that I was doing well in my struggle in the midst of it, not realizing that God wanted a better life for me, a life of complete freedom. And he wants that for you as well. And so whether you are a male or female in here today, um, no matter how long you've been struggling, God wants a better life for you. He wants complete freedom for you. It's just if you have the courage to step up and face that struggle um, and get that complete freedom on the other side. That's awesome. Thanks, Julia. Thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with us. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love so much at, at Celebrate Recovery is that we actually get to share our story with, with one another. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you, know, there's, you know, as you're getting plugged into it, but you'll hear the stories uh, of other people as they walk through a lot of different situations and a lot of different hurts and, and a lot of different uh, just life stories. And as we learn to share our shame or share our stories in safe places, our shame starts to disappear. And so I don't know what kind of uh, baggage you walked in here with tonight. Uh, I don't know if there's been some sort of hurt or resentment that's been eating you up within your life. Uh, we want you to know that there's a place where you can deal with that, and that that doesn't have to rule your life, and you can actually find the same freedom and hope that Julia and myself have found in there, uh, and we would love to, to walk with you and point you towards that healing and freedom that's found in Christ, uh, and so if you'd like to get involved or just learn some more information, you can text CR New to the number up there on the screen, or you can just visit us uh, on a Friday night, but as we continue uh, to worship tonight, I'd like to pray for us. As we come before that, that same God who in this place right now is speaking to us and has drawn us closer to the grace, the healing, and the freedom that's found in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are the God that knows exactly what's in our hearts and our minds as we come into this place tonight. Uh, and Father, I know uh, and, I, and I praise you that 
you give us the permission and your grace to struggle well, that you love us and accept us right where we're at, but you love us too much to leave us where we're at. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that as we worship you, as we open your word, Lord, would you draw us closer to your heart? Would you allow the gospel to come more alive to our hearts and our minds tonight as we seek you and worship you in this place? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Who had a crazy week this last week? I feel like I, I'm not alone here. Like, I feel like 50% of us had a crazy week. Yeah, I see you guys. Um, I feel like the last week for a lot of us was filled with stress and anxiety with school and busyness, um, or I'll speak for myself, it was filled with a lot of that. Um, and I found myself forgetting a lot of the promises um, that I'd built my faith upon, um, forgetting that I had a father that loved me and cared for me. Um, but I found myself this last Friday walking through scripture and reminding myself, reminding my soul promises that God has for every one of us. Uh, and I want to share a couple of those with you guys as we turn to sing. Hear this tonight. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, hear this, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, and has compassion on you. So tonight, as we stand to sing, and as we turn to sing of God's great goodness and his promises to us, I pray that we would have that heart tonight, that we remind ourselves, remind our souls that God is truly a God of promises, and not just a maker of promises, He's a keeper of promises as well. Let's sing tonight. the rise. 
Greater things still to come. 
Father, you put beautiful testimony in all of our hearts that are saved by your goodness and your grace. God, we rejoice in that this evening and every day. God, we can rest in the promises that you have given us, the promises that you have fulfilled through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation we receive in him. We continue to celebrate that for the rest of this night. It's in Jesus' precious name. That's going to have a seat. Amen. Well, hey, my name is Nick, and uh, I am one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship Bible Church in Rogers, um, another congregation of this church, uh, two towns north of here. And I'm really excited to, to be, here, be here with you guys tonight, continuing in 1 Thessalonians. But hey, before we, before we jump in on that, man, I just have something in my heart I want to challenge you with. I was so thankful for Andy and Julia and their story they told us. And, and I can tell you, my story looks really, really similar to theirs. And I remember being in college just getting beaten down by the shame of my sin and the things I was struggling with. And I had heard about Celebrate Recovery. And I often thought, I wonder if something like that would actually lead to change in my life. And you know how many times I went to CR in college? Not a single time. And I graduated college and, got, and I got married. And suddenly, my dear sweet wife had to endure all of the mess that I hadn't dealt with getting dumped on her and the pain that that brought into our marriage as we got started. And so at 23, just a year out of college, um, I jumped in to celebrate recovery and did a step study and I saw the Lord radically change my life through it. And I'm so thankful for that process and I wish I'd gone just a couple years earlier. Um, and that I had gotten some of that healing where, when I was right where you are. So I just, in case you heard that and you felt a little something inside you, and then we started singing some songs that went away, I want to bring it back up and give you a second chance to do something about it. And, and here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. If that's you, if when they were telling their story, something hit you about a hurt, a hang-up, some kind of shame, pain in your life that you want a safe place, to unpack that, and I believe me, I know it's terrifying. I was so scared the first time I went at the idea that I was actually gonna open up this junk that I had been just keeping tucked away for literally over a decade. But I wanna challenge you, if that's you, if something came up in your heart when they were sharing, I want you to commit tonight to go this Friday. And I'm gonna take it to a next level of courage because it's one thing to say in your mind, in your heart, yeah, I'm gonna do that. It's another thing to reach out to a friend here and say, hey, will you go with me? Can, can the two of us go to Celebrate Recovery this Friday night? And, and to have that accountability together, because sometimes it's a lot easier to be courageous with another person, right? And so I wanna challenge you, what would it look like if, if that was on your heart, that you would reach out to someone else and say, hey, let's go together this Friday night? Um, and, and I believe that I'm just, I'm so thankful they were here. And, and I believe that God wants to do an incredible healing work in people's lives in Northwest Arkansas and the world. And he's using Celebrate Recovery to do it. And I'm gonna tell you, there's no better time in your life to start getting real about your hurts and your hangups and your habits than right now. So I just wanna, I just wanna implore you and encourage you, don't put it off, Okay. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity. That's my CR spiel, and, and now we're gonna, we're gonna turn to 1 Thessalonians. And, and, and remarkably, 1 Thessalonians is gonna bring up a lot of similar things. And in this series that we've been in through 1 Thessalonians, um, we've talked about how there was this group of people 
who lived in this town in the Greco-Roman world, who Paul came into town, he told them about Jesus, he told them the good news about their Savior, and they turned away from the gods they had been chasing after and turned to Jesus as Lord. And he spent the first three chapters unpacking what this transformation looked like, what this new loyalty looked like, but there's something else going on in that there were people in this little town of Thessalonica that were against the good news of Jesus. So against it that they kicked Paul out of town before he had gotten the time to really spend the time he wanted with the church. And they were continuing to make life hard on these Thessalonians. And so Paul's now writing them a letter to encourage them to stay faithful. And we're gonna change the schedule up a little bit. Um, We're gonna jump around because of some teaching scheduling stuff that came out. And so we're in chapter four tonight, and we're gonna be in the middle of chapter four. And what's really exciting to me about chapter four is Paul turns to focus on some really everyday common things. In fact, chapter four, verse one, Paul says this. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Man, I don't know if you're like what what I was like when I was in college, but I was obsessed with questions. I felt like my entire life was just filled with question marks about what my life was supposed to look like. Um, I think I I declared five different majors during my time at the U of A. Anybody else top five in here? Anybody change majors more than me? Okay, I I circled around a lot because I had no idea what I was gonna do with my life. I was all over the place, and I was panicked trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to please God? I couldn't figure out about career. I couldn't figure out where I wanted to live. I couldn't figure out about who I wanted to be around. And I was obsessed with these questions that I was asking God, and I desperately wanted some guidance. And we do some, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I would do some really goofy things to get guidance from God, right? Has anybody done this one before? Hey, Lord. I, I really need to know if I should change my major. And so God, because I'm spiritual, I need you to speak to me right now through your word. This is what the sovereign Lord says. If the prince makes a gift from his inheritance to one of his sons, it will belong to his descendants. And now I've got to figure out how that's guidance, right? Has anybody done this? Be honest with me if you've done it. You, I flipped the coin. Um, I said, hey, God, if you want me to make this decision, I'm going to set my phone on the table, and if it rings in the next five minutes, I know that's a sign from you. You're laughing because you've done it, right? Okay, here's what's really cool. Right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, hey, I'm going to get rid of the mystery. You want to know how to please God? I'm going to tell you. Now, here's what's really cool about this word please, okay? The idea of this word is not that God is angry with you, and you've got ground to make up. The idea is not, you're a bunch of people on God's bad side, and I'm gonna teach you how to get on his good side. Jesus already got you on God's good side. Does that make sense? That, that's First Test chapter one stuff. When you came to Christ and you believed the gospel, you were taken out of the bad side and put on the good side. You were put in a right relationship with God. The question now is how do we delight him? How do we bring joy to him? And Paul says, I'm gonna tell you 
I'm going to tell you what this life that brings joy to God looks like. So I'll tell you an outline. Here's what chapter 4 is about. Chapter 4, Paul's going to bring up three different issues. He's going to talk about sexuality. How do you bring joy to God in how you live out your sexuality and holiness? And Garland's going to be back. He's going to talk to you about that next week. Then he's going to talk about, in verses 9 to 12, in our relationships, how do we please God? And then finally, he's going to talk about living a life that pleases God in grief and in facing death and sadness. So chapter four is gonna walk through these three practical areas, and I can tell you as a pastor, these three are probably the three questions I get the most often. People either wanna talk about sexual sin and sexual temptation, they wanna talk about difficulties in their relationships, or their grieving death. And these are three incredibly practical things, and and Paul says, I'm gonna show you exactly what it looks like to live a life that brings delight to God. So, hey, we're, we're going to spend tonight in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 to 12, okay? So here's what Paul says in verse 9. He says, now about love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So Paul's, he's bringing up his topic here, and he says, I want to talk to you about love for one another. Uh, the word here for love for one another is this word, Philadelphia, it means brotherly love. Now, here's what's really cool about this word. This word, brotherly love, there, there are several different kinds of words in the Greek language to talk about love. And this kind of love was reserved for family. They understood you have kind of a friendship kind of love, and you have a, um, you have a romantic kind of love, and then there's this like family kind of love, and they knew that that was different. Here's what's really cool about what happened in the early church. They took a word that was normally set aside only for family and said, that's what happens in the church. They said, here's the way we should think about one another. If God is our father and he has adopted everyone who has faith in Jesus as his children, then that makes us brothers and sisters. And that radically transformed the way church community was supposed to look. And so he says, hey, when you gather together, you are to think of each other as brothers and sisters, family. Now, there's, there's some kind of sweet things about family, but also some kind of hard things, right? Like, family is the place where your normal um, politeness kind of goes away, right? Like, it was awesome. I was, I was, uh, I was somewhere recently, and I saw this, I saw this girl, and there's like, it's like the family that is just so sweet and always just as kind as can be, and they were getting in the van, and the younger brother, who's a little bit of a bull, just like knocked his teenage sister out of the way to get in the car, and she gave him a look that looked like she was gonna throw up at him. She was so mad. And that was just like one little snapshot of family life. That's what happens with family, right? Um, I don't know if y'all ever had this experience. How many of you like went to church as a kid with your, with your family? Anybody have, okay, so, so how many of you had this experience going to church as a kid, where you'd be like, somebody would be yelling and screaming at the house that you're gonna be late, A fight would break out in the car, and as soon as you got in the parking lot and you opened the door, everybody got happy. Because the spiritual people can't see us fighting. Right? Family is where, like, all of that stuff comes off. It's where you get real with each other. And and family's also kind of weird because very few of us get to choose our family. You basically get one shot at that, and that's when you get married. The rest of the time, you're kind of stuck with family. And sometimes it's really awkward 
Sometimes family are not the people that you would choose to have around you. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you think really differently from each other. And Paul says, and the whole New Testament says, hey, church, church community, it looks more like family than any other kind of community you're gonna find. And by the way, college is an awesome time for community, right? Like, it is this time where a whole bunch of people basically at the same age, in the same walk of life, like there's literally like 20,000 of you all living in this kind of like mythical paradise place called university campus life, right? Like it's like going to camp for four years. Like you literally live in dormitories with loft beds and all of your friends live together all the time. It's a mythical place, college, and community just happens. Like, I remember being in college, and literally, it'd be like 10 o'clock at night, and I'd just walk out into the room, me and my, the living room, the house me and my friends were in. He's like, anybody want to make a Taco Bell run? And there's instantly eight people that want to go to Taco Bell with you at 10 o'clock at night. That doesn't happen at any other time in your lives. But here's the funny thing about college community and a lot of communities we chase after in the world. We try to find people who are a lot like us, who love the things that, are, that we love and wanna do the things we wanna do. And that's what we form communities around, right? And so we're going to find, we're gonna build a, a gaming community with the people that love to play the same games we love. We're gonna find people that love watching the Razorbacks play. We're gonna find people that listen to the same kind of music we listen to and we're gonna cluster together. And here's the lie, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's a really fun season of life. But here's the dangerous lie that we can buy into during college. And that lie is, is that community and relationships should always look like this. That I should always have a big group of friends who are interested in the same thing I'm interested in, are available all the time to hang out, and can run around at midnight and go grab Taco Bell whenever I want. And we think, we, we have a label for what we call that. We call that authentic community. Here, here's the kind of bad news that I wanna hit you with. There's nothing authentic and normal about the college community experience. It's a really narrow, specific season in your life where friendship looks like this. And most people I know graduate college and have like a relational crisis when suddenly they don't have all of these structures around college community life to find friends in and they feel incredibly lonely. They take a job in another city and they don't know how to make friends. And guess what, they don't have time to make friends because they're learning a new job and they're working all the time. And sometimes we bring that way of thinking about community into the church. And we think I should always have a church filled with people who look like me and think like me and are interested in the same things in me. So I go out, here's the phrase, we say I want to find good community. As if it's this thing that you just kind of stumble into and it's magical and it just happens. Like you walk into a room and you instantly feel known by the people there. But look at what Paul says 
about the kind of love and community that Thessalonians experienced. He said, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Verse nine, now about love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Think about that phrase, taught by God. What kinds of things does God need to teach people? Things they couldn't figure out on their own, right? Now, it does not take a supernatural miracle for a bunch of people who are all the same age and have the same interest to learn how to hang out and have fun together. There's nothing miraculous about that. There's nothing from on high about similar people with similar interests learning how to enjoy being together. But Paul says something was going on in Thessalonica that was taught by God. A kind of friendship, a kind of community that looked different from anything else you would find in the world. And and this taught by God comes from the Spirit. The way that God would teach them directly was the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And that led to a different kind of love and relationship. And he says, I don't need to say anything because you've already been taught by God. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Now, the NIV doesn't make it quite as clear what he says here. But what he says is, we don't need to write you about love. And then in verse 10, he says, in fact, you practice it toward all God's people. Think about that word practice. Practice is something that you work on repeatedly over and over again. What is Paul saying? Guys, brotherly love, like the kind of deep, close connection that Paul desires for the church is not something you discover. It's something you practice. It's something you work at. It's what happens when you slam people together that really don't belong together. Like there's no reason they should really be friends. And yet, what brings them together is not their shared interests. It's their shared blood. It's the kinship of being children of God. You see, in a, in a season with what's going on in the U.S. right now with all the, the fractured relationships, the disunity, one of the most radical things the church could show our country is how really different disagreeing people can learn to love each other and be together. Think about, think about your last family holiday. How many of you at the last family holiday gathering you were at had some family member get into a fight with another family member about a controversial topic? Okay, like that's almost every single family gathering I have that's extended family. Somebody's gonna bring something up and you always know as soon as the topic comes up, everybody cringes because you know the explosion's coming, right? And yet, here's the really odd thing that happens. We still get together the next holiday for dinner. Why do we do that? Like everywhere else in the world, when people explode over something controversial they they don't agree about, They quit talking to each other. Like we unfriend them because we don't want to see that in our feed anymore. But with family, for some reason, we keep coming back. Paul says that's what church community should look like. You don't walk away when it gets hard. You don't leave when you disagree. And when something really hard comes up in family, you step in for each other. 
want you to take a minute right now and think, think in your head, when was a time that you went through something really hard, something that kind of caught you off guard, totally knocked you off your feet, and somebody surprised you because they were there for you? They were the person who showed up and cared for you when you didn't know who would. That's what the Thessalonians did for the people around them. One of the things that happened in the early church was they became a place in a, in a really dangerous community where marginalized people, where outsiders, where people who were poor could get left literally for dead. The church came a place where those people could be safe. And Paul's saying, God taught you how to do this. And I want you to grow in it even more. So Paul's gonna go from here and he's gonna talk about what does this kind of brotherly love, how do we grow in it, how does it go even further? So he says in, in verse 11 and 12, he's gonna give four ways that he wants them to continue to grow in loving each other well. So in verse 11, the first one, he says, I, wanna I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So the first thing he says, I want you to grow in love more and more, and then I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now this phrase, quiet life, what it means is essentially the word means to stop. It can mean to stop talking. It can mean to stop doing. Now think about it like when you put those two next to each other, those are like incredible oxymorons. I want you to have a whole lot of ambition to stop. You see how odd those two are next to each other? I want you to feel this insatiable drive to learn how to stop. To learn to be quiet. See, there's, there's a tendency in culture to be really passionate to make a whole lot of noise to stay constantly busy, to always have something going on, to stay in a, a frenzy all the time with different activities and different things that you're getting your fingers in. And what Paul says is that kind of lifestyle will get in the way of this kind of love. You see, the, you can't be available to love people well if you have zero margin in your life. If you are constantly busy and exhausted, there's no way you can ever be there for people. I remember recently, I was totally blown away by a friend of mine. Uh, my, my grandpa died this fall, and, and I performed his funeral, and, uh, and it, was, it was an hour out of town, um, way out in the middle of nowhere, and um, I got ready. I was, I was nervous. It was the first time I'd ever preached a funeral, and so I added like the fact that it was the first time I preached a funeral to the fact that it was also my grandpa's, and I had all my family there, and I got up to start preaching the funeral, and I looked, and in the back row was a friend of mine who took the morning off work to come to the funeral for me. Just took a half day just to come sit there. He literally just drove an hour out to where this little church was, sat for the funeral, and when it was over, he came up and gave me a hug and got in his car and drove back to work. He made margin. He made room in his life to show up for me. So Paul says, I, I want you to learn to have a pace that knows when to slow down. You see, one of the things that I bought into a lot in the season of life that y'all are in is I will live really busy right now and then I'll learn how to slow down afterwards. 
Here's the problem. Everything you're doing right now is setting a rhythm for the rest of your life. There is no point in life where slowing down becomes easy. And Paul says, if you want to be the kind of people who love each other well, you need to learn to slow down and to quiet down. And there's another side of that quiet, not just the, the slowing down of busyness, but I think there also is a slowing down of the talking. Because look at the next thing he says, lead a quiet life. And then he says, mind your own business. Now, what does he mean by that? He says, you need, if you want to be someone who loves well, you need to learn to shut up and pay attention to your own stuff. He recognized that one of the biggest threats to authentic, meaningful, brotherly love was our tendency to want to make noise about everything that's going on in everyone else's life. And it has never been easier to do that than it is today. Our access to everyone else's business and our, our ability to literally comment on what somebody had for breakfast this morning is incredible. And I remember... Um, Man, when I was younger, I loved making a lot of noise about everything that I could be passionate about. Um, I don't know if this is still a trend, but um, when I was a trend, when I was when I was in college, it was a big trend to do some kind of public activity on campus to draw attention to causes. So I remember one day uh, when it was really cold to draw attention to people in poverty. A bunch of us went the day without wearing shoes to draw attention that there are kids who didn't have shoes. Um, another time there was concern about a certain group of kids that were going through something really difficult in another part of the world. And so what we did was we all uh, slept outside on the old main lawn to, draw aware to, to raise awareness for what those kids were going through. Now, is there anything wrong with that kind of activity? Not at all. Do you know how much I did to get involved with actually helping anyone that I was doing those activities to draw attention to? I didn't do anything. And if I'm really honest about my motives, the reason I participated in those things was not because I had a broken heart of compassion for people who are hurting. I did it because I really wanted to be seen being involved in something social. Now, I want you to hear me well here. Am I suggesting that getting involved in public displays of social action is wrong? I am absolutely not saying that. What I'm warning us of is the potential danger that we will be really excited to be seen publicly talking about things and then have zero follow-up when it actually comes to something that would cost us. When it actually comes to getting our hands dirty and serving people. When it actually comes to laying our life on the line to see other people's lives transformed. And Paul says there's no room for that in the church. There's no room for people who spend all their time shouting and talking and drawing attention to things and no time actually getting to work on their own lives. Because he then follows up and he says this, mind your own business and then fourthly, work with your hands just as we told you. Put your hands to work doing something good. Now, probably what was happening with the Thessalonians here is they were really concerned about Jesus coming back. They were really excited about end times. And they got really concerned with all things spiritual. And what seems like happened was they thought, okay, because we're all excited about the spiritual thing, there's no point in doing everyday work. Because we're about the kingdom of God. 
By the way, one of the number one conversations I have with people who want to meet with me for the first time is they've gotten some college degree or they've just taken a job doing something like logistics, engineering, and they go, I feel like I'm wasting my time and I should be doing something spiritual. I remember in college when I was getting trained, feeling like the everyday stuff of class was a waste of time in light of the kingdom of God. Like, why did this matter in light of all these really important spiritual things? And the Thessalonians were dealing with the exact same thing. They felt like if there's the spiritual kingdom coming, why should I spend my time doing everyday work here on earth? But it's interesting, when Paul came to Thessalonica as the apostle, I mean, if there's anyone who carried the burden of the kingdom of God on their shoulders, it was Paul, sent all over the world. And you know what he did as soon as he got to town? Paul had a a trade. He built tents. He built leather tents, which is a primary way of, uh, of shelter in those days. And he set up a shop in Thessalonica and worked a full work day every day so that he could contribute something and so that he wouldn't be dependent on other people. You see, a real danger that could happen among the church is that we become so concerned about spiritual things that we do no good for people in everyday life. If we're telling people that God transforms us and brings such an incredible life, but the best business work that's happening, the best lawyers, the best scientists, the best artists, the best writers, none of them are doing their work to the glory of God, what does that tell the world about this lifestyle that we're saying is so great? Paul says you're gonna love your neighbor well when you get to work and do something really practical good with practically good with your skills. Suddenly, the mundane things that we're studying, that we're prepping for, the work we do every day, comes to have incredible spiritual significance. Because Paul says when you do those things well, you actually bless the people around you. Now here's what's really ironic about this list to me. If I'm listening to the Apostle Paul, the guy that went around the world and started more churches and unreached people groups than probably anyone else ever, and he said, hey, you wanna know the secret to a life that pleases God? I would have expected him to say something really radical. And instead, what he describes is a remarkably ordinary life. Hey, I want you to learn how to love people well. I want you to learn how to shut your mouth and make sure you live the things you talk about. I want you to work hard with your hands. Do a good job every day. I want you to be the kind of neighbor that somebody would actually want to live next to. And that kind of life pleases God. Suddenly that becomes remarkably freeing if you ask me. Because suddenly there's not this huge divide between spiritual things and everyday things. Paul actually says we please God when we do everyday things in a way that honors him. when we take care to live faithfully in our own world what we claim other people should be doing. One of the most remarkable examples of this happened in the 19th century. You see, in the middle of the 19th century, 
America was being split apart by the issue of slavery. And there were people who were shouting on both sides and getting passionate. They were getting ready to go to fight a war over it. And one church made a decision. An entire group of churches called the Quakers, they made a decision. They said, you know what? Let's start in our own house. And they made a decision as a church that they were abolishing slavery within their church. They said, we're not going to wait for the U.S. government to make a decision. We're abolishing slavery in our own church, and we're even going to go a step further than that, because if you, if you free people from slavery only to have them enslaved by someone else, that doesn't really lead to abolition. So they said, not only are we going to release every person who's enslaved by us, we're also going to provide for them to get good work and to be able to be, live safely. And that example within that denomination of church became an example that could lead to a movement for the rest of the country. And I think that's the kind of thing Paul is talking about here. He's saying if you want to transform your city, if you want to transform your region, then live in your neighborhood, in your community, the kind of love of Jesus that you're telling the rest of the world they should be living. It doesn't mean you don't ever speak up. It means when you speak up, you have a lifestyle to back what you're saying. And here's the why. Paul comes to the end of this, and he says, this is the reason. In verse 12, he says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you won't be dependent on anybody. He said, church, if you will learn to live this kind of life, the kind of life that lives deep integrity to do the things that we're telling the world they should be doing, that is going to have a witness to outsiders, to non-believers that will transform them. So I think the call for us today, as Jesus followers in Fayetteville in 2020, is can we live this kind of brotherly love out? Can we live the kind of community that says, man, when we have a city, a region, a nation around us that is messed up and divided, what would it look like for us to live out the kind of brotherly love and authentic community that shows people from different backgrounds and different perspectives how to be together, how to serve each other, how to say, I radically disagree with you about who you're going to vote for in November but I'm gonna be the person at the hospital with your kid when they get sick. When we live a life like that, that's gonna have a radical, an ordinary life that will have a radical witness for the world. Because a faithful life, what it's gonna bring is it's gonna bring contentment to you, it's gonna bring glory to God, and it's gonna bring a witness to outsiders. And this kind of life is going to be radically pleasing to God. Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I, I spent a lot of time spinning my wheels, looking for direction, when actually the answer um, was to be faithful right where you've put me, to take the harder step of loving people um, who are right in my circle to look different than me. So, Lord, I pray that you'll use your church here in Northwest Arkansas to show um, the people of Fayetteville a different way to be human. A 
different way to be a community, a different way to wrestle with heart issues. We pray this to the joy of your people and the glory of your name. Amen.
Well, tonight we get to, we get to celebrate life change that is, is happening here in our own body, in our own congregation. Uh, for those of you that don't know what baptism is, baptism is an outward sign of inward life change. When, when you come to know Christ, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, baptism is a sign to the world that you're a new creation. Romans 6 talks about baptism and how when we go under the water, it's us recognizing that we are, have been buried with Christ. And then when we come back up, it's a sign that we get to share in his resurrection. So tonight we get to hear about Jordan's life change. Yes, uh, my name is Elise, and I work here at Fellowship Fayetteville with college young adult women. About a year ago, Jordan came over to our community group that we were hosting, and I got to have coffee with her. And from there, she told me a little bit about her story and how she knew about Jesus at a young age, um, but it's definitely looking to grow in her relationship with God. And so from there, we started looking in the Bible, and we started going through a study called Seamless, which is a overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it has been an amazing opportunity to walk through her and to see her questions and her growing and know more about God. Um, and it's been hard. We've walked through a lot of life together. And um, it's been an honor to be with her and just seeing her grow and, and challenge and just apply that to her everyday life of wanting to follow the Lord more faithfully. And so um, we got to the point of talking about baptism in Jesus' life. And she looked at me and said, I want to be baptized. I want to know more about this. And so we got to a really cool opportunity to talk more about that and just what Josh said um, for her to publicly declare what that means. And so tonight, Josh is going to ask her a few very important questions. And then we're just going to celebrate Jordan and your decision to follow Jesus and do that obediently and faithfully to the Lord's name. And so in a moment here, Jordan's going to go under the water. And when she comes back up, I want us to truly recognize how big of a deal this is. And I want to celebrate. And so when she comes back up out of the water, would you guys yell and applaud? And then we get to worship and sing to this God that produces this life change. And so Jordan, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that he died the death that you deserved? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit? And do you believe that you will get to also share in that resurrection someday? All right.
it's only you that can raise us up, that can give us new life. God, we celebrate that this evening. We are restored through your goodness, your grace, your sacrifice. Thank you. May we remember that this week as we go, as we tell our friends of your goodness, tell our classmates, those around us. God, may we remember your gift to us, the salvation through Jesus, through Christ alone that we have. We can rest in that. Well, fellowship, thanks for being here. Man, what an awesome thing we get to do and celebrate believers' baptism. If, if you have questions about baptism or you yourself are interested in that, come find me, come find Josh, Elise, any of us after the service. We'd love to talk more about that. Um, with the creative initiative, if you're interested in that, um, you still have a little bit more time. So go to the Instagram link uh, in our bio. You can fill out an application there. We'd love to get in touch with you there. Guys, we love you. We're praying for you all week. Feel free to hang around as long as you'd like. If it's not raining, we need to move outside. Guys, we're, we're thankful for you. We love you. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you later, guys.